You're listening to episode 137 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Ladies and gentlemen, this was an extraordinary week. We saw the rise and fall of one of Marco's favorite franchises, Dark Phoenix. And then Pete comes in and goes, ha 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 <laughs> And then Kale says, man, I'm upset. I'm Kale. <laughs> Ward. <laughs> See, Sean, I told you it was a bad bit. I couldn't do it. Well, no, you know what? I think it gets the point across that... Uh, because the thing is that everything I think you said right there is exactly how those people would have responded. <laughs> and the reality is it wouldn't have been any funnier if they were actually here. <laughs> if anything, me doing it just brought it that much farther down that it just evens out. That's probably true, quite frankly. Uh, if you haven't figured it out by now, it, this is a two-man show. It is Marco and I, the rest of those scrubs. They're, they're out of here. They're the out of here. The Comics Amigos. The Comics Amigos. <laughs> you know what we did? We built a wall <laughs> to keep them out. That's right. Exactly. How about that? Take that, Pete. Damn. You want to build walls around my boy, Marco? Well, now you're on the other end. Minorities in comics. <laughs> That's yo, right. Th- yo, this shit's going to be banned by Comicsgate immediately. It already is. This shit's never going to come out. Uh, so how are you guys hearing us? I don't know. I can't tell the future. Uh, but what I can tell you is where you can find us all over the internet. Places like Spotify, places like SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, all that kind of jazz. We are on the social medias at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. All those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than it costs you. You're definitely going to want to check out those social pages because I think that the content we've been putting out lately has been pretty cool. So if you haven't, uh, you know, subscribed or followed us on especially Twitter and Instagram, then you're missing out on some cool stuff. So go over there and do that. Yeah, especially the um, we now have a meme section on the... uh on the Instagram, because we all know Phil is the living meme. So uh, we have that rolling. And then uh, I've been enjoying um, uh, A Dreamer's Life in comic Comics, uh, which is like a Will Eisner biography. So check it out. Been good stuff. And you're also posting quotes from that, right? Yep, yeah. Every Thursday we'll have quotes on Instagram and on Twitter. That's what's up, man. Uh, I, I got to get inspired to use social media. I just... I just, I don't know. It's not for me. It's kind of weird. You know what I realized? It's just like, this is something that I find interesting. Nobody else is, so let me just post it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I hear it. Uh, So we're going to be doing a couple things on this show. We're going to be reviewing Swamp Thing, actually. Uh, Marco persuaded me to watch the first two episodes of Swamp Thing. Uh, all he had to do was slide into my DMs with a code and a to... Well, you know, listen. Some <laughs> things we keep private, okay? Not everything on this show is for the public. Uh, he slid into my DM with the code for his DC Universe uh, 
log in and I I watched. I watched. So you're going to hear my thoughts. You're going to hear his thoughts a little bit later on. We're going to talk about the Joshua Luna thing and how that's evolved. There's a lot to talk about there. Kind of a sad week in comics in general. But (laughs) I'm sure that a lot of you, one of you maybe, are wondering about our Dark Phoenix review. That is also up now for you to go check out if you want to hear our thoughts on that movie you can go do that um we just we had so much to talk about that we didn't want to you know give you guys a three-hour episode with only the two of us on it that's nuts right so you can hop on over whenever you're ready hear the dark phoenix review that marco and i do uh i think you're gonna like it so give that a listen now we've got some uh we've got some listener mail I'm going to turn it over to the boy, Marco. We do. So this is coming from Pete. Uh, Not our Pete, another Pete. But he says, how's it going, guys? Huge fan of the show. I just finished listening to your review of Heroes in Crisis. I have an opposite opinion. Well, you're starting off strong. (laughs) Uh, Although I do agree with the points you made to back your opinions. Uh, The jokes from Robin were unnecessary. The panel of them all when the ship crashes, making those whack-ass stances. I agree with all that. But, however, I did enjoy the overall story. Now, I love a good old murder mystery. The story for me met all of my imaginary criteria. I was generally interested by the story and dying to know the truth about what happened at Sanctuary. King's point about PTSD and the importance of therapy, while sometimes were delivered differently than I expected, were still received and understood. I'm not saying it was the greatest story of all time, but it was a good ride that had me guessing who done it and how till the end. That's a brief summary of my opinion. Um... Pete, thank you so much for sharing. Long-time listeners of uh, those reviews will know that we've had our, our differences with, with King and, and Heroes in Crisis, and I know I checked out early on, but um, <laughs> I, I stuck around for the art. Um, Clay Man, Mitch Gerard's whenever he would hop on. Um, and I don't know, man. It's It wasn't the book for me. Like I, I totally understand like the the PTSD stuff and... Um, to one of the points that Sean would make on uh, on the on those reviews was that you know it was supposed to be an analogy uh, for um, or like an allusion to uh, mass, mass shooting. shootings, and you know uh, upon sort of like reflecting on it, um, kind of in the sense that you know it it was it wasn't necessarily something that Wally himself wanted. It was just like internal battle, and then it sort of just like happened. I don't know necessarily that that's how a mass shooting might happen, um, but it's not something that you can necessarily rule out. Um, so, you know, I'm glad it was there for you that that the the book spoke to you and you got that message. And you know, maybe the execution was shaky, um, but I'm I'm at least glad to hear that you enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, look, it's always a good thing when someone enjoys something. Yeah, you know, just in general. I, um, it's never like awesome that someone didn't like something, especially if they were looking forward to it. So just putting that out there, like, I'm happy you liked it. That's great. Or, or didn't hate it or, you know, whatever, <laughs> however you feel like you want to phrase <laughs> Whatever it, scale know. that is. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I gotta say, it, it had me guessing, I guess, but that's because it deliberately puts out misinformation. I mean, mm-hmm. the book shows us 
multiple versions of the same crime that make us and uh, Harley and Booster think that they think that they those two are the only options, which anyone who's ever seen a murder mystery knows that when you're presented with like two options, it was neither one of them, right? So that the fact that it wasn't one of them was clear. The problem was just that whoever it was going to be couldn't salvage the fact that it didn't it felt like it feels like with Tom lately he has really good ideas for like a foundation of a story right mm, cuz yeah. on its face i think sanctuary is a great idea and i think the the idea that something could happen there that would challenge the heroes on a level that they've never really been challenged before where it's kind of like they have no sanctuary because this one sort of holy place gets defiled by who knows who, right? Um, and and the initial concept was was strong. Like we 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 all were excited for it because we knew his writing, we knew his themes, and we knew that you know he was a writer who could could execute. Yeah, exactly. So so it makes you it, it excites you. But when it when it's Wally, right? Mm. That's like for any long term DC fan. Even if you're a new fan from Rebirth, it's not cool. It's really not. It, it's it's actually kind of um, heartbreaking. And I expressed a lot of uh, passionate frustration over that story because of how important Wally has become to me. As someone who found him recently with, with Rebirth, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, so that's really where that comes from. And then... There are some elements of it that feel like Tom is kind of poking fun at us, at the idea of the story in general, um, you know, through the Robins and just what's supposed to be a very deep, like, emotional issue. Issue 90 is the Robins joking in their, you know, in the little scenes we see with them, the therapy yeah. sessions. I don't know. We don't need to go into the whole Heroes in Crisis thing. Just, I'm happy you wrote in. I didn't like it. Glad you got something out of it. That's awesome. And I hope more people who, who enjoyed it or feel differently than we did write in because yeah, please. It, it, it does add another layer to how I see it. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Pete, thank you again. And anybody else, shoot us a note, man. We'd love to have the conversation. And Pete actually got to us through Twitter, so that's pretty cool. Yes. So if you if you hit us up on Twitter, we will see it. We will uh, read it on the air, whether it's an at or a DM. Our DMs are open, not for nudes. Keep those to yourself. <laughs> yes, I'm talking to you, Phil. Keep them to yourself. Um, so, yeah, thank you once again. Um, we're going to get into the pals polls now. Marco has chosen Goger, number two. Goger, mm-hmm. Goger. Yep, Goger um, by Ken Gehring. So... Um, the, f- I think when I first brought this up a couple, uh, a month or two back, it was Ken Gehring's newest book, um, uh, being published by image. He's the writer artist on it. And he's actually the writer artist on planetoid and planetoid praxis, which was my first ever image book alongside with saga. Wow. So, um, when that came out back in like 2011, um, uh, that was like my entrance into image into stuff outside of superheroes. So, 
Planetoid for me is a, like a super special book um, just because it helped help open like those floodgates. Uh, I have, you know, all the issues. I have it on digital because I was reading on Comixology back then to the extent where like I went back to find the the back issues and stuff. Nice. Um, it, his second series came out in 2017. So Praxis, or 2017, 2018. Um, and this is his newest stuff. Um I haven't picked up. I haven't picked it up yet. I'm gonna wait for the for the trade, um, and then from there, um, I'll let you guys know. Because again, this is a a creator who's important to me. Cool, man. That that inspires me to want to check out some of his stuff. And since this is only on issue two, I feel like I can pick this up, get the first one, and you know, see what he's about. Yeah, I I'd, I'd recommend it. He has a really cool art style. Um, very. Well, now he's kind of like grown, so he he's like stronger lines in uh, on on his inks. Uh, his colors are great; they're really vibrant. And this is like supposed to be like a more earthy plant, like um, a more earthy bright book. So yeah. I imagine he just kind of like excels in those colors. Sounds great. Now I want to ask you. Uh, this is a totally serious question, of course. Yeah. Do you think that when this episode wraps up? This will be the most you've talked on the Comics Pals in total over the course of 170, uh, 137 episodes. If we take the combined amount you've talked from 1 to 136 and match it up against this one, do you think this will eclipse all of that? It's going to be on par, I think, man. I don't know. Depends how long the episode goes, but it might be there. Might uh, just. I guess we'll see. Uh, so no, but but <laughs> a, a, an actual serious question. Uh, I figured since it's just us, we can take a little bit more time in this section. Yeah. What are you What are you reading these days? So honestly, um, one of my so I've been kind of like trying to scale back a little bit on spending money on comics. So my coworker actually, he's a big comics fan. So we've just been trading trades. Um, so oh. for example. Um, on my desk right now, I have Lock and Key volumes three through six. Right, I gave him Swamp Thing, um, so he he wanted because he wanted to catch up before the show. So I gave him that. Um, what else? I have Fables that he gave me. So like a lot of it's just been kind of like trades that I've been meaning to pick up and books that I've been meaning to read that he just happens to have that I'm like, oh cool. I'm just like checking off stuff on my list. So Fables, um, Six Gun, Lock and Key. Uh, uh, he gave me something recently. Chew. Um, Oh, nice. So, like, I've just been, like, devouring all this stuff um, and kind of going into mostly trades. I haven't been picking up a lot of the the weekly stuff just because, um, as I mentioned, I think last week, like, uh, I've had, like, a volunteer thing, so I don't have time to go to the the comic shop anymore. Um, Actually, Friday was the first time that I had gone to my LCS, uh, I think, in about, I want to say, five months whoa like i went back in and they were just like marco where the fuck have you been like word for it is like marco where the fuck have you been i was like hey dude i don't know you know i i ghost every once in a while <laughs> but um but yeah like now that i have that time uh i will be visiting the shop again uh and obviously i have uh my coworker to supplement some of my books so um yeah you, you'll expect to hear a little bit more of the, the weekly stuff for me if anything awesome yeah um i 
I feel you on that. Sometimes the weekly grind, it can get a little grindy <laughs> and not that exciting, especially like, I don't know. I don't read books for the show in the sense that, you know, we pick whatever books we feel like we want to review and then we, we review them. But 99% of my reading is personal. Right. But even still, my work, my life revolves around comics. So in a way, it becomes like not that fun sometimes. And uh, I've just been finding the fun again. Yeah, yeah. So I just tore through like I was behind on like, um, I don't know, 15 issues of Batman, something Whoa. like that. So I just tore through those and got caught up. And that's been a doozy. Um, and uh, just get, getting caught up on Flash, getting caught up on like a lot of different things. Um, I have quite a backlog. See, now that I have the DC Universe app, um, and I'm, I'm, we'll talk probably talk about it later, but like yeah. I, I am able to read some of the stuff. So like I read like the first two issues of, of Flash. Um, uh, so I, I wanted to start that. I started um, some Teen Titans stuff, yeah. like like the '80s stuff. Um, so it uh, now that I have more time, I'm like gonna set that schedule because uh, I feel bad. Like I've I've dropped so many books. And uh, I recently, uh, if you guys go check out my Twitter, like I, I recently started being able to like support comics again, like being able to go to the store, like help out some indie creators and stuff. Um, so Nick, now that I, I do have this free time, I'm going to be able to just like block off like two hours to just like dedicate to solid reading of just like weekly so I can I can try to catch up again. So does that mean that you're going to start picking up the regular uh superman title and batman and i don't know maybe not batman um maybe superman honestly i i might have to wait for the trade to see like how how that all comes out um and then maybe jump into it but as of right now i'd probably want to jump into like like something fresh just like with new eyes like a, a, a number one on something um that way that I at least I can like get back into just reading overall for that, you know? Um, and then jump on to like some of the big two. That, that's usually what like my process is find a number one, get comfortable reading again, and then just like expand it from there. Well, speaking of number ones, uh-oh, my pull for this week is Event Leviathan number one. Yes. Which does drop this coming Wednesday. And we are going to be reading it for the show. Uh, we really liked the Leviathan Rising special mm-hmm. that came out uh, last week, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So uh, we decided to just keep following the story. And um, I I am really excited for this. It's Bendis and Malieve. That is a time-proven uh, team-up because they have been working together for something like 20 years. Whoa. And yeah. And they always knock it out of the park. And I always know that it's real now when it's Bendis and Malieve. Bendis have, has a... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, what, what, what have they worked on? Scarlet, which is incredible. Um, that's, that's actually, that's actually um, something that was published through Marvel. Oh, I, their through Icon. Icon? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like one of his first stuff. Yeah, and that, well, it's it's actually it's kind of more recent, like two thousand and 
I want to say like 2008-ish, 9, 10 region, but it was published through Icon, and now it's over at DC. So that's kind of kind of weird. Um, they worked together on, t- I want to say, Tony Stark International Iron Man, something like that, um, which, uh, again, was like a big deal for Maliv to be even on that book just because it was um, not like an event or anything like that. Um, but he worked with him on Daredevil, which oh, was okay. that's that's Bendis' big deal, pretty much. Um, he worked with them on Moon Knight, Spider Woman. Spider Woman was they, that was a huge push for that book, and it also got made into webcomic. So, in any event, their their team up is significant, and I'm excited to see. I don't even think I've ever seen Alex Maleev draw non Marvel characters. Like oh, I know he has, I just haven't seen it. Right, right. Has but. Does he he bounces around right? Like he's not just Marvel exclusive. He's not Marvel exclusive, but like the majority of his of his repertoire. I mean, he he. he uh, okay, so I've got his his work pulled up here, and between the years of two thousand and twenty thirteen, he didn't even work for DC at all. Wow, that's it crazy. Was, yeah, so between so in ninety eight, ninety nine he worked for DC a little bit, some Batman stuff. Nothing crazy, but like, you know, a few issues here or there. He did one thing with them uh in two thousand, the Superman vs. Predator, and then it wasn't until twenty thirteen that he did a little something with Batman again. Um but other than that, it's been all Marvel. So yeah, this is a this is a reason to be excited, at least in my mind, and uh, I can't wait to see what these two put out. Yeah, definitely. I just from what I read from the event Leviathan, the the rising at least, like it was, it was good stuff. So I I mean, if this is a number one, this is my week. I'm coming back into it. I'm gonna pick it up, and we we're gonna read it for the show. So definitely, awesome man. Yeah, I'm pumped, and uh, I hope that this event will uh, be a little more satisfying than Heroes in Crisis. Do we know how long it is? Oh, shoot. I think it's like eight issues. It might, it, no, I think it, I actually think it's six. I think it's six. Um, I'm actually going to look it up right now. Um, but, yeah, it, it is six. It is six. That's so really not bad. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the whole summer and then some. Right. But it's not bad. All right. When you compare it to the 12 issues of Doomsday Clock that are shipping you know, next every year. other month, <laughs> every other year, it feels like, um, I think it's pretty good. So Yeah. Let's jump into the news. And I want to start with a follow-up on what we talked about last week with Joshua Luna and image and everything that's been going on with them because we've actually learned quite a bit more since then. So every every news outlet took this story and ran with it as you would expect. But image, the company, has still had no response. But that did not stop Eric Larson, who is an image partner from taking the Twitter to talk about this. Now, if you'll recall, 
Last week, we speculated based on Bleeding Cool speculation that the partner that Joshua Luna was referring to, uh, just to recap, Joshua Luna talked about how uh, he presented a partner at Image with a book that he wanted to put out called, uh, what was it called? American Asian. Yep. And the partner initially reluctantly accepted the pitch and then hit him with every reason in the world why it shouldn't be published, saying that he he took it around to, to Asian co-workers and they weren't into it and he just felt it wasn't relatable and it was too angry. And Joshua Luna, you know, felt disrespected by that and disrespected by the way that it was handled. They got lawyers involved, they burned his books, this and that, lots of different stuff. So, uh, Eric Larson was the person who a lot of people thought that Luna was talking about. But Eric Larson went on Twitter and essentially hinted that he was actually talking about the publisher of Image, Eric Stevenson. Now, I personally didn't realize that Eric Stevenson counted as a as a partner in that way. When I think of the, the partners at Image, I think of the original crew and then Kirkman, who was added later. The guys who were given imprints, basically. I, I forgot about Stevenson. But this is what Eric Larson had to say. He said, I can't speak for Eric or his decision-making process here. But as the publisher, you do have to make a lot of difficult decisions, and sales are a factor. Now, for context, Eric Larson is the publisher of Image that Eric Stevenson took the job from. So Larson would know what he's talking about on that front. Oh, okay. The part, and that's a fine, that's a fine tweet. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. Right, the problem right. tweet that he did put out was a tweet in which he said, it's hard, or I'm sorry, crying racism and taking to Twitter is a classless move and absolutely unfounded. That's... That's harsh. Uh, the full tweet for context is the only partner involved with approving Image Central books is Eric Stevenson and crying racism and taking to Twitter is a classist move and absolutely unfounded. Now, I want to point out that that tweet is no longer available. He tweeted and deleted the cardinal sin of the Twitterverse, but he did it. And uh, yeah, so that tweet's no longer available, nor is the one that I mentioned before. The only tweet he left up Relating to this issue, and he denies that it has anything to do with the story, is the following. As a general rule, don't take to social media and air your grievances unless you're totally cool with terminating a relationship forever. If you have no hope of repairing things and you want everybody else to know you're a ticking time bomb ready to go off, go for it. Man, I I guess just like based off that, like the, the tweet on the... Um and on like the crying racism stuff like yeah that's that's a tough one considering he also deleted it like yeah obviously it was a regret right obviously doesn't look good it isn't good but i'm kind of upset that it was that wasn't handled with a little more tact yeah um and i will say and like now that you know we've brought in eric stevenson um that's kind of made me feel different about the situation just because 
to me, Eric Stevenson is, um, he's the writer of Nowhere Men, and he's also the writer of um, They're Not Like Us, um, a book that I absolutely adore. And, you know, other other creators that I have personal connections to are getting involved, and it's just like, it's becoming a thing where, uh, I don't know, it, it's like the, the Eric Stevenson thing, that might have changed the my, my opinion on the way that images approach the situation they still haven't said anything and then there's this publisher who specifically uh or not specifically but is being implied as the actual person who like was the i guess executor i guess um but to to play the to play the the crying racism card i mean that's not classy right like not at all and and i i feel like if if you're going to try to bring up that kind of a conversation, you know, the, it, it, it has its validity. Um, considering the fact that sales are, are important, obviously, right? But you have a creator who has a history who people know and follow versus trying out a, and testing out a book with like a newer, uh, a creator who maybe like, is an up and comer, right? You, you, I would feel like, from a sales perspective, even you would go, you would choose Luna over a newer guy, a newer person, like a newer creator, because you have that track record. You, you know that this person's at least somewhat bankable. So I, I don't buy that sales thing off the bat because of the fact that you know he is a creator who has worked with the company for for so many years and has brought out books who were at least moderately successful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and and like you said, his track record with Image is such that they were accepting his pitches sight unseen. So if that's the case, what was the what was the reservation about this? He even mm-hmm. said that it was kind of weird that he even needed to like show them stuff for this because yeah, he never exactly. really has to. Mm-hmm. And and we we've had guests come on who work with Image who have said, yeah, I mean, we every once in a while we'll be like, oh, we're on time with this page. You need to look at things at something, and they're just like, no, nah, you're good, you're cool. Just like make sure you met the, hit the deadline. Right. So I thought it was interesting, right? Because I originally was thinking that Eric Stevenson wasn't the publisher. I I, I wasn't I wasn't realizing that he was the publisher at at Image. Mm. Um, or that he was considered a partner is more like it. But in any event, I real I found out that he became the publisher in 2008. Oh wow! So uh, I went and looked at the history of the Luna Brothers publishing at Image, and I found out something that maybe isn't that interesting, but I just thought I would note it. Um, Joshua Luna has only by himself published Whispers through Image, whereas his brother has published uh, Star Bright and Looking Glass and Alex Plus Ada. Uh, In addition to that, only... Well, yeah. So only two of the Luna Brothers' work at all, like collectively, uh, came out after Stevenson joined or became the publisher so uh the sword 
which is I guess one of their joint projects. Yeah. And then um and then actually that's it. Just the, just the sword. Um from from them together at Image. So since Eric Stevenson became the publisher, the only thing that has come out from Joshua Luna is the sword which was with his brother and whispers. Not oh oh just him or with his brother. Yeah. Okay, okay, got it. Interesting. So just, just throwing that out there. I don't know if that means anything. Um, now, Comics Beat got an interview with Joshua Luna, and he talked a little bit about what the experience has been like after talking about what took place. And so he had the following to say. Within hours of going public with what happened, I received an email from the partner describing my post as slander, libel, and outright lying. So honestly... The first thing I'm hoping for is to not get sued for speaking truthfully about how I was mistreated. The next thing I want is to not get blacklisted. I think comics and the media industry as a whole has been dragging its feet in acknowledging the history and severity of anti-Asian narratives and imagery to the point where it'd rather kill the messenger than acknowledge the message. I also don't want to be discarded so that later on someone else who is less angry gets the opportunity to tell my story, especially if that person has white heritage. That only add insult to injury. Overall, what I want is what I've wanted from the start, searching for a home to publish American Asian so that I can tell my story in my own words. So that's also kind of weird, right? That he receives a personal message from the partner in question, presumably now Eric Stevenson, who is telling him that his post is this, this, and that. Why are you reaching out to him privately to talk about this in a in that way? In a threatening way. If you're if you're trying to address it, you should be addressing it publicly because it's out there now, right? You're not gonna you as somebody who is involved in the company at such a level should be addressing it from the mouthpiece of image to protect that image to, uh, um, of the company. But at the same time, um, but at the same time, be able to to address it in a formalized manner, right? Like, like if you want to have the dialogue, you you at this point you have the dialogue in public because you're anything that you do that is either a backpedal or a uh, or in this case, reaching out privately is is going to be something that you know. It it doesn't look good. It yeah. it it doesn't look good. Uh, and actually, like uh, I was kind of going through some of the the strips that that Joshua Luna has on his Tumblr and stuff because he does he does have uh, a number of them posted, uh, and I, I've I've been looking through some of them, and it's been. Uh, it's been interesting just because and I encourage you guys to go like like check it out as well but you know nothing with respect to what he's posted at least has been anything that I've found to be concerning I guess is the word right, right. like like n- nothing about it has been something where I'd be like hey wait a minute no this this doesn't make sense or this is sort of a a, a uh, an aggressive point of view I, I'm just gonna read a quick excerpt from like one page that he has um, specifically titled Asian American monolith, but the lith is scratched out with myth, right? So Asian American monomyth. Um, and he just goes through thoughts that people have about Asian Americans. He's just expressing these uh, Asian Americans are doing better than white people. 
Asian Americans are need to acknowledge that they're privileged and that Asian Americans are basically white. And this to me, um, again, just off this page, um, it just looks like it's trying to have a dialogue. So I'm interested one to see to see the the book come out and actually look at it and, and, and see if it's something that image wouldn't otherwise publish because then I feel like that fuller picture starts starts to reveal itself. You know, um, you have you have Luna's side, you have um, images side. But once the once the material is out there, I feel like we can make that that opinion ourselves as to whether right. or not, you know. Um, so this continues to be a shitty situation. Yeah, I, I just have a couple more thoughts on this. Yeah, uh, yeah. To what you just said, I think that it's look, I saw those pages, too. And is it? In Image's wheelhouse, I don't read every single thing that Image publishes, but I've always thought of Image as a place where sort of anything goes. Yep. And if that's not the case, then I'm misinformed, but that's the impression that I've gotten. I could easily see why DC or Marvel would pass on a book like that. Totally. But I don't get it with Image. And it's their right. And that's something that... I do have to make clear is that I don't think that image should be forced to publish this if they don't want to. If Stevenson doesn't like the cut of Luna's jib and decides he doesn't want to publish his book, that's his right. He can do whatever he wants. But in this case, based on how this information has been relayed, based on the relationship that they've had in the past and based on image's weird response to this whole thing it feels like something else it just does it doesn't mean that that stevenson is a raging racist but sometimes people who are bigoted have weird responses to things that challenge them on any level yeah and maybe he's not comfortable with being challenged with some feelings he might have even if they're unconscious. And let me tell you how I think that makes sense. So I, I I wanted to dive into this more. So I took a look at Eric Larson's Twitter page, right? And he is clearly like not into Trump, appears to be a liberal liberal person. And generally speaking, you would assume that liberal people are liberal in their ideas and you know not not likely to be bigoted. And all that kind of jazz, right? Mm-hmm. You would think that they're progressive on that kind of stuff. Okay. Does that sound consistent to you with the same person who would use the phrase crying racism? So it's what happens when you get pushed against the wall. Exactly. Yep. And this is something that a lot of people don't understand. If he is who he presents himself to be, why would he say something like that? It comes off as a fear, yeah. Immediately, yep. And 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 I guess like that's like the subtlety of it, right? That like the nuance that sometimes doesn't get addressed is that you know uh, these are these are my thoughts and these are whatever. But I get backed into a corner. And I'm like, hold on, it's it's their fault, right? Right, exactly. Like as soon as you feel like you need to be defensive, now mm-hmm. the guns come out. Yep. Because you know what bullets you have in your guns, and you know that when it's time, you can pull that out. Yeah. And he would never get why 
using that phrase is incredibly offensive and disrespectful. Even if Joshua Luna is using the uh, tactic of saying that Image is racist to try to get himself over and make them look bad, even if that's the case, you don't. there are levels you don't have to go to yep. to have a discourse. You just don't. It isn't the response. But he was willing to do it, and he was willing to do it in public. And I always think, if whatever you're willing to say in public, I amplify that times 10 with what you say privately. That's yeah. just me. So, I don't know, man. Uh, this continues to be a frustrating scenario. And like I said last week, this does impact the way I see Image, especially since we're sitting here a week later. And the only things we know about Image's perspective make them look worse. <laughs> yep. And uh, I guess, like, to Phil's question last week, as to, like, whether or not it does change the opinion, um, I think Stevenson's involvement here kind of does. Um, just because he, again, he is a creator that I, I do enjoy. So it's frustrating to to see them sort of spiral down in this way uh, and not and not address it in t- t- exactly what you said, in, in, in a public forum and, and have the discourse in a way that is both respectful and allows for conversation. Yeah, absolutely. This could be this could easily be a moment where we do have a, a talk, you know, or image does lead the charge in a conversation, even an apology. Yeah. Or maybe not an apology, maybe just a genuine response that's like, hey, look, for financial reasons, for whatever reasons that don't involve racism. We chose not to publish this, but we still value Luna as a regular contributor and a regular partner with us, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know, and whatever. But we also respect his feelings and his and his view of the situation. That's I it. don't know. You treat him. You treat him as a human, not an as an Asian human. Ex- yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. <sighs> well, guys, uh, it only gets worse <laughs> because we have several cancellations and closings and things of that nature to report and so I'm going to just kind of go through these now uh, it's never never a happy thing but uh, we have to do it and speaking of happy happy has been cancelled by sci-fi well there yep. sorry Phil so has deadly class in fact oh sorry Sean <laughs> Yeah, uh, so the unfortunate reality based on, you know, the joke you just made is that neither one of us were watching the show (laughs) that we respectively should be. Uh, I watched the first few episodes of Deadly Class, but my girlfriend was more interested in uh, the Umbrella Academy. So Mm. my TV watching time went more towards that show and now we're on other things. Um, But Happy was on for two seasons. Was it really? Yeah. Wow, okay. The first season did really well, really, really well. Uh, but the but the second one, for whatever reason, the ratings just just took a nosedive. Uh, it does well on Netflix though, and it's actually the number one performer of any show that is coming from a network uh, channel to yeah. Netflix. Oh, interesting. So they call that a second window, and it's actually the number one performer in its second window for wow. for dramas. Um, and then, so that that's a pretty good 
that's pretty good for the show. Not enough to keep it on sci-fi. I don't know what kind of rating sci-fi pulls in. Yeah. But um, yeah. Apparently the race the ratings were just not very good. Man, that that sucks. Cause like I I know like um Phil had originally gone to go see like the pilot. He was really really amped about it when we had gone to New York Comic Con to do that. And like, it sucks. Uh, I I imagine I, I started happy. Um, it was definitely weird. It, that's a Morrison jam, right? Yeah. Yeah. Felt like it. Uh, and like <laughs> I I don't know. I I I think I have to go back, like sit down and watch it. Deadly Class was, I think, something that I wanted to watch. But to your point, it came out at the same time with uh, Umbrella Academy. And Marina also wanted to watch that over Deadly Class. It had the same kind of vibe at the time. so yeah. Or like a similar vibe in that in that regard. So um, I guess, you know, Netflix just kind of overshadowed it. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I think Deadly Class was pretty good. From what I saw, it wasn't the greatest television show out. And I don't know that it was even better than Umbrella Academy, but it had heart. And yeah. it did have a following. In fact, apparently the show was doing pretty good. Uh, it just wasn't doing well enough because of the fact that sci-fi doesn't fully own the show. Oh. So it, it was a joint production with Sony Pictures TV. And so they were kind of like, you know, splitting the revenue or whatever. And sci-fi just didn't feel like it was worth it to keep it around when they don't get everything that they can get from it. Right, right, right. That makes sense. Um, Now, both shows are being shopped around elsewhere. Oh, all right. Cool. So that's kind of a positive. But I don't feel like either one of them is going to get picked up. Yeah. And like sci-fi was willing to go like to go that next level for these shows you know because like there's a lot involved in them that is either violent or comic booky and uh, the cw is not the place for that there's like not a place for it necessarily um like outside of the sci-fi network you know like you're not going to go to like an amc or something you know it's 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 going to be hard to shop around yeah i really feel that when it comes to Deadly Class, at least, since that's the one I've actually watched, they need to get picked up by Netflix mm-hmm. or HBO, HBO or Hulu, something like that. And that's unlikely. Netflix has their own thing going on. Yeah. So uh, real sad about that one. I know that both shows have a big following. In other bad news, uh, DC Comics is rumored to be closing Vertigo. Man, that's upsetting. After 26 years. Now, this is a rumor. It doesn't mean this doesn't mean it's going to happen. Sean, it's happening. God, can't you just see? Ah, <laughs> the writing's on the wall. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's not guaranteed, but by the time you guys are listening to this podcast, it may have already been announced. Yeah. Um Vertigo was it, it was put together in 93 Karen Berger that's what she's famous for primarily is being the person who was able to create this imprint there were already titles that were sort of like vertigo-esque if mm-hmm. you will like if you know vertigo those kind of mature more adult oriented books they already existed DC was already publishing them 
Swamp Thing was already a thing, Doom Patrol, but they just kind of got taken and put under the Umbrella Academy, or the Umbrella Academy, (laughs) the Umbrella of Vertigo. Uh, And I think the comics industry is better for Vertigo having become a thing. Yeah, 100%. Um, It was Swamp Thing, Constantine, Doom Patrol, uh, shit. Sandman. Uh, Sandman. I think Shade might have been there at some point. Like, so many of these books were also super instrumental in, like, uh, or super um, influential in just, like, the space of being able to tell, like, darker, grimmer stories. Yeah. Um, And also, they were, to your point, mature books, right? That's how they were marketed. They were... They were some of the first books to be directly marketed to mass consumers as, hey, maybe your kids shouldn't be reading this. Like, it's right. not a book for them potentially. So it sucks because it, it was the imprint that was that blew up back in the back in the 90s. It was it was the place to be for a creator, especially if you wanted to do something that might have been more uh, like indie focused, but still touched upon properties that were older that you could just do whatever the fuck you wanted with. You could you could toy around with it, absolutely, and I f- I feel like nowadays there are a lot of ways to get books out that are similar to what Vertigo has done because the mm-hmm. Vertigo style permeated all of comics. DC now has their Black Label, yep, which is the same thing as Vertigo. It's just featuring you know the characters everybody wants to see. Yeah, um, young and, animal to an extent. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, I would say so. But then also you have Image, which is doing the same type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, without it doesn't have you know necessarily uh, characters that people are familiar with, but it's the same style, right? Yeah, even Dark Horse and Boom, whoever. Oh make, yeah, take your yeah. Pick, you know, I mean Karen, she has her Burger Books now. Burger Books, absolutely. Shelley Bond was like the understudy of Karen Berger and she has her thing now. What's it called? Uh, Black Crown. Oh, yes. Yep, yep, yep. So, yeah. Uh, That's at IDW. One thing that... uh, There's two notes uh, on this that I wanted to get out here. Uh, So, this is something I didn't know. That Vertigo was actually presented proudly by Warner Brothers... Um, and then the chairman at the time, Alan Horn, who's funnily enough now working for the distinguished competition over at Disney, uh, he asked why there weren't more Vertigo series being turned into TV and, uh, movies. Yes. And he was told that the reason they couldn't do that was because of the contracts with the creators where, where the books were creator owned. Oh. The the characters were creator owned. So they couldn't just do whatever they wanted. And so he ordered that the contracts be changed. And so because of that, all of the people who would have normally worked for Vertigo stopped. And and this was this was back back in the day? This this was back in the day before like when Warren Ellis and Garth Ennis and Morrison were still there. This is why they left. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So the other thing that I wanted to point out is just the fact that the 2018 relaunch, which we were hyped about on this show, we talked about it a lot. It has done bupkis. 
Yeah. Like, no one talks about it. The only book that people talk about is American Carnage. American Carnage. Well, weren't there like there were like two controversies as well, like with um, Border Town, and then I'm I'm forgetting one more. So it was Border Town that got canceled because Eric Esquivel's a creep. Yep. And then Second Coming that got canceled because right. of the content. Yeah, it's it's tough to maintain an imprint like that as well just because you do have to sort of challenge yourself but you have to challenge yourself within the constraints of this is a corporation like a dc right this is still technically an um an umbrella this is still technically an imprint under the umbrella of the big two so as much as you can push the boundaries you also have to know where those lines are um in the case of border town he's a piece of shit but like for for um second coming for second coming like that's that's a whole totally different situation right so it, it it's hard uh, to have to deal with one the direction of the company but two find that happy medium for creators to come back and, and tell those wild wacky stories yeah yeah um, I don't know the, the comics industry the world has changed a lot in 26 years I think 26 years ago the the ownership of Warner Brothers and all that situation, the ownership of DC, you know, totally different scenario you're looking at. You know, investors are a lot more concerned about different things they now than they were then. It's just it's just a nightmare when you get creativity and exploration of creativity and themes mixed with corporate politics and money. They don't go together, you know. Nope. Um, at, at best, you can have great, phenomenal stories, and we get those, but this also happens. Yeah, and, you know, I uh, I, I hope this stays a rumor, honestly, because it's not, it's not a place I, I want that imprint to be at. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's well-known, it's super well-respected, yeah. uh, and for it to just close its doors, it's going to be shitty. It's going to be shitty for the space. I totally agree with that. Um, let me ask you a question, though. Yes. So when we look at the the titles that, that were announced for the relaunch, we're talking about uh, Border Town, Second Coming, Hex Wives, American Carnage, Goddess Mode, High Level, and Safe Sex. Um, Safe Sex hasn't even come, come out yet. Um, and then, like, there's... Like, uh, Goddess Mode is is all over the place with when it comes out. Hexwives is over already. Um, so all that in context, do you think that the focus on a diversity of talent and of uh, stories, particularly when you're talking about main characters and themes, do you think that that was actually a problem? Do you think that that hurt the relaunch? Um. I don't think so, just because, like, to me, they're just names on a, on a book, right? And you just sort of follow the names and creators that you, you enjoy. Um, I, I think more so it was just, like, everything that happened afterwards, like the aftermath of the relaunch, the stuff with um, Escaval. It, it all sort of devolved. And I think it was around the same time that, like, the comic state community was also really adamantly trying to, to dissuade people from this stuff. Um, but I don't think it, it ties back to 
the the creator's diversity and like the diversity of storytelling because I, I always use images as an example of we have a huge diversity of talent and of storytelling in, in that space and you know it it does well um so i don't think that that ties into it directly i think there are people who might be wary of it but i don't think it's the end all be all to why it wasn't as successful as it could have been you know and, and and a number of books haven't been haven't even come out they were supposed to be it was supposed to be like a whole launch from like what was it like august of 2018 through to like december but like a bunch of books got delayed a bunch of stuff happened so it was a mixed bag yeah absolutely a mixed bag and uh unfortunate that this big push ultimately is not amounting to much the weird thing is that they actually have been hiring creators and different stuff for new titles and those apparently are just not coming out they've been canceling contracts and all that kind of jazz so uh sad sad stuff now more sad news uh (laughs) paste magazine is closing the comic section that it has at the end of june that sucks whack yeah uh steve fox took to twitter to make that announcement he said so some bad news at the end of june pace will be shutting down its comic section i'm immensely proud of the work my team got to do there the times are tough for digital outlets and the audience for comics journalism just isn't as large as it is for other media it's no coincidence that the most stable comic websites do a lot of clickbait and or cover a ton of comics-related TV and movies. I ran Pace Comics as the kind of site I wanted to read myself, but unfortunately that kind of site has a hard time paying for itself. He did release a much longer response to Bleeding Cool when they reached out to him, but you guys can go check that out if you want to. Um, I've checked out some of their content. We've used some of their content to report on here. They had good stuff, deep stuff. They wrote a a write up for um for Wally West in light of Heroes in Crisis number nine. That was really really good, and I encourage people to check it out. It's not going to change the current situation, but if you want to read good stuff, you should go there. We need we need websites like this. It I I actually have uh, a couple lists saved on theirs, um, specifically the hundred best horror comics um so i i always reference it when i I, i'm trying to find like a new book like i'll I'll check stuff off obviously but as they as they would update it frequently you know i'd get things like oh baby teeth by donny cates i've never heard of that oh because it's being published by aftershock that probably doesn't have a lot of you know promo behind it so that's a book that i would be i would want to pick up um beast of burden it's where i ended up finding out about that where i ended up finding about the beauty Beautiful Darkness, which I do have, like a, a bunch of books that you just kind of discover because they are, they're great. They're, they were a great publication when it came to this. Yeah, absolutely. They, and they, and again, like they did cover big two stuff, but like Marco's saying, they also, they also talked about like stuff that you might not have heard of. They, they talked about everything and you take a risk when you do that. You absolutely do. This podcast probably wouldn't have ended up being about superheroes and stuff and like movies and whatever like that probably wouldn't have been the main thing we talk about if it wasn't for that fact yeah 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 uh it's hard it is hard to do this and and you know 
Paste is Paste Magazine is a thing that people go to for a lot of different content, and they have they have to they have upkeep, you know, they have upkeep, and you you sometimes you trim the fat, and unfortunately for that website, the comics content was the fat. Yeah, uh, it's happening all over the all over the place. A uh, couple journalism comics journalism sites, you know, they're going down, but uh, I, we got to support the ones we can. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we're going to see more. I feel like we're going to see more scenarios where these websites are, are, are maybe not even websites. Maybe it's going to be digital magazines, panel by panel, panel X panel, I should say. Oh, is, that's is a good example, one. Right. Like I could see that being more of a recurring thing where you can get premium content that's got great write ups, great stuff for a true comics fan but where you're paying something a month Mm -hmm. whether it's through um oh my god patreon or you know some kind of direct thing whatever it is i i feel like that's that's kind of the future for comics uh journalism yeah i i think so everything's moving towards or at least some variation of that is always moving towards there so that's a that's a good call out just in general yeah uh, and, and when that does happen, if that does happen, you know, I'm never one to tell someone what they should do with the, with what's in their wallet. That's just not my style. But if it's important to you that we have this stuff, if, if, if podcasts like this are important to you, if, if, you know, written work, real good journalistic work is important to you, you might consider supporting it to make sure that it can continue to exist, which is a way of me telling you that I, my PayPal's open. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, Venmo is. Uh, please, please direct it all straight to Phil. He's a he's a boy in need. That's right. Uh, not to Pete though. He explained explicitly what his plans are with your money. He wants to build a wall <laughs> around Marco. Uh <laughs> So there is a bright spot in all this darkness. There's there is there's one bright spot. The animated series team behind X-Men, the X-Men animated series, the team that put that show together for us, that that show that defined a lot of people's child childhoods, uh, they want to bring it back. And they're reaching out to Disney since they now own the rights. To bring that show back to life. Yo, Dark Phoenix Justice. Hashtag Dark Phoenix Justice. Justice for Dark Phoenix. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, the Dark Phoenix movie just came out. As you guys know, people are talking about the X-Men more than they probably have in a really long time. Just because of the movie coupled with the fact that Marvel's got the rights back. The X-Men television show did the Dark Phoenix saga really, really, really well and really close to the source material. And I like I would love for this to be something that was exclusive to Disney Plus. It'd be super cool. Like it, it's it, it's literally banking on 90s nostalgia and then like revitalizing it for the new generation considering that it's now under the umbrella of Disney, which has been proven to be successful and it to think that we might get a shot of one seeing the same sort of showrunners and creators 
come back under this umbrella with Disney money, with their ideas, like, shit, I'm down for that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That, like, I'm getting Disney Plus probably no matter what. Yeah. But yeah. If, I, if I was, like, wavering on any level, that's the kind of thing that would hook me right back in. I think a lot of people felt that way about um, Young Justice for the DC Universe yep. app. Season 3. This would be that equivalent for me and i think a lot of people who grew up in the 90s specifically so yo if they brought back x-men evolution that shit was my jam x-men evolution was very cool i couldn't (laughs) yeah he was he was awesome i couldn't watch it as a kid because uh i hate change so the fact that like they shifted away from the old art style they made it they made the x-men younger i just couldn't handle it so oh I man, I but that art style it. was terrible. It was so clunky. Look, man, you can't you, you can't have a rational conversation with me about that. <laughs> you can't. It it I, I was five years old watching it, and 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 glued. Listen, if it wasn't for that show, Jean Grey would not be my favorite comic book Red character. Head? Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, that too. <laughs> um, that show. That show was formative in a lot of ways, and it really changed me as a person. It shaped me as a person. So I can't talk to you about the art style. I'm not doing that. What was your favorite favorite episode? I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> the X-Men. Yeah, the one where it's about the X-Men. <laughs> that one specifically. Yeah, oh, that means every single one? Yeah, you're goddamn right. It it got weird towards the end. It ended it ended weird. It ended kind of bad. Uh, there was an issue. There was a problem where uh, uh, I can't remember exactly what the problem was, but essentially the show f- resolved its primary conflict and then just started delivering like a series of one shot episodes that oh, were okay. totally not connected. Featured random characters. It just got strange uh towards the end did they ever do uh, apocalypse yeah oh yeah apocalypse was featured heavily on that show um really well done too i think i have to go back and watch it i only remember in x-men evolution and that was like one of the final arcs yes and it kind of just like fell apart i i've watched that they have the whole thing up on youtube uh oh I was actually kind of forced to watch that one day. I was at a friend. It was a really weird experience. I was at a friend's house. We were stuck on the couch, and uh, he put on <laughs> X Men Evolution randomly. Uh, and but only the Apocalypse episodes. That was the only X Men Evolution he what? ever wanted to watch. That was terrible. I was just that was when the show vibe. ended. He he feels like he's an Egyptian descendant so that's like his oh that makes sense yeah yeah it, it make it, it makes sense i guess in a certain <laughs> kind of psychotic way but in any event uh i would love to see this happen i want a petition this is the only petition i'm signing so if they put it out i'll sign my name on the dotted line and i encourage every person to find the dvds of this show and go buy them so that Disney believes that there is a market for this. So you'll sign this petition, but not the Snyder Cut? Yeah, of course. Look, I'd watch a Snyder Cut if it was out. 
Like, if it's available, I'll buy it, and I'll watch it. I'm not going to sign a petition. That's, that's, I'm putting my heart and soul into that. That's worth more than money. <laughs> Change that <org. laughs> My name on the dotted line means a lot, okay? Uh, so back to the bad news. Oh, oh. actually, before we get back to the bad news, uh, if you want to hear us talk about the Dark Phoenix movie, go over and listen to our review. It's out now. Go check it out. Is it as good as the television version of the Dark Phoenix saga? We'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Go find out. But back to the bad news. Swamp Thing. Can you believe this? Swamp Thing. Can I believe this? I'm a Swamp Thing fan. Yes. <laughs> this is the shit. This is what happens. It's been canceled. Yep. Crazy. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, actually, it does get crazy. You want to... You want to tell it? Yeah. So um, initially, when we when we had reported, um, we had sort of the timing kind of came around when Disney Plus released or announced that it was uh, its price point, and it also announced its um, like what it had in terms of content, what what it was planning for the future, and at the same time, we got literally the same day. I think we got the announcement that Swamp Thing's production was cut from 13 episodes to 10 and they ended production early and then the next day we got a swamp thing trailer so we had no idea what the fuck was going on yep um as it turns out we were sort of under the impression that oh i guess you know they're trying to consolidate some of the the shows maybe the the dcu app's not that big of a draw um the show hadn't even come out so it was kind of it was it was kind of crazy to think that they didn't have faith in it, considering the production behind it, considering the the creators, the writers, everything, everybody involved. Um, this week, it broke that it turns out um, North Carolina, right? Yeah. The state of North Carolina can't do math. Um, <laughs> those bumfucks. No, I'm sorry. I apologize if you're from North Carolina. Um, we, I've the only, my only experience in North Carolina is getting pulled over for speeding. So Here's I'm the still bitter about it. Um. <laughs> But uh, it, it turns out that um, TV shows, movies, and, and studios, they get rebates for doing uh, for filming on location in certain areas. So the state of North Carolina was going to provide DC, um, uh, the studio behind it at least, a $40 million rebate, which would cover half of the cost of the show for a total budget of $80 million. Due to some clerical errors, some paperwork got messed up. Turns out they were only able to afford $13 million, so $27 million short of the proposed initial budget. And that obviously had people... It, it explains why the production was cut so early, and it also explains why it ended up being canceled. Just they, It wasn't a show that they could go back and make, right? Because they have to wait an entire full year in order for th- those dollars to be replenished. And even then, it doesn't seem like it's a guarantee that they'll be getting something close to that $40 million for the next year. So, um, that sucks, man. Like it, and 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 we'll, we'll get into it. In, we'll get into it in a sec. But like, the show's good, and it, it's been getting really great reviews. Um, we have a uh, we had another article here, and I'm just gonna pull up the um, the Rotten Tomato numbers. But initially, upon like the first episode, it got it was tracking along a 
94% on Rotten Tomatoes about. Yeah, yeah. Um, currently, it's an 8.7 on IMDb. Uh, I'm trying to find the Rotten Tomato score now, but like it, it sucks. It's just it's it's a shame to think that they they had faith in this, and because of money, we can't have it, or because of this era, we can't have the full show. Nor do we have that second season. Yeah, it's uh, it's really really unfortunate because. Um, this puts a lot of things in jeopardy with I, I, I would imagine with the DC Universe app 100% you know? like they needed a win big time Titans is I felt like it was quality but it got such a bad rap to start with that I think that they were just kind of shot in the foot from the get go yes Um, this was a show that I think most people who are inclined to to like something like this in general were hyped for mm-hmm. because it looked good it didn't look cheesy it didn't look stupid it looked like they put a lot of effort into this show to make it something good we're gonna talk about it but it definitely doesn't come across badly at all and in that respect so for it to be canceled like this for it to be cut by three episodes that's a lot that's that's major you know, yeah. Um, and and they don't release their shows the way that Netflix does. It's not like it's all out and available now. This is week by week. So if you're a person who was thinking, "Oh man, I want to get the DC Universe app for Swamp Thing," but maybe you forgot about it or you were waiting for more episodes to come out, and now you hear that it's canceled, are you still inclined to subscribe for a show that's not going to be around for another season, and that might have might end bad? It, it's like and to your point right like titans got shot in the foot because people based off those initial images were like oh it's so stupid it's like oh too gritty you know robin says fuck you to batman or whatever um but then initial reception came out it was strong um and even then like uh when 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 doom patrol came out you know that had strong fan reaction just in general yeah. right yeah so that combined with the sleeper sort of sleeper hit that was doom patrol going into swamp thing people were absolutely hyped and and i would say with doom patrol being as good as it was i would say that that show doesn't have nearly the like audience on its face that swamp thing has mm-hmm. it was just because it, go ahead it was it's a quirky show right it's it's the it's the morrison jam so yes. for for those like more diehard uh superhero fans and and comics fans i think that was the draw there but like the swamp thing approach was no we're leaning into horror if you like horror shit this is where you need to be watching it just so happens it's tied to superhero stuff right and that was a great pitch uh, yeah absolutely and it comes across that way and it it works that way it absolutely works that way if the show wasn't about Swamp Thing and it was about something else, but it was like the same concept, it would, it would work perfect. It, Swamp Thing is not required yes. for the show to be good. And I think that's in some ways the hallmark of good content when you're talking specifically about something that's not in the, the like nebulous genre of superhero, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, 
you can't really make a superhero movie without Superman because Superman is what makes it what it is. But you can make a Swamp Thing show or a Swamp Thing-esque show without Swamp Thing if all the ingredients work. And they do so far for the show. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit because we're going to just jump into our review here in a moment. But uh, this does tie into the story that we're talking about. Warner Media, which is the, you know, the, the that's Warner Brothers now, uh, and which is now owned by AT&T, who have been, you know, kind of quietly shaking things up over there. Uh, th- it looks like they're going to launch, and this is coming from Variety, it looks like they're going to launch their own subscription service, which would be uh, around $16, $17 a month. And would actually include HBO, Cinemax, Warner Brothers TV and movies, and, you know, other stuff like that. Now, that's very, very, very interesting. Because, and again, I'm going to explain how it ties in. uh, That would include HBO, which is already $15 a month. Right. Uh, that's, that's, that's incredible. But then also what happens to the DC universe? app? Yep. It, the, go ahead. I, I was just say like to the point on it, including HBO, like that's a draw for me. Cause I am an HBO subscriber. Uh, and if I can get additional content for that, I, I, I'd jump ship. Um, I, I was, um, and we are, we're obviously part of the Discord, um, of, of the Longbox Discord, and I, I like to engage every once in a while. And they were talking about how, uh, specifically, I was talking with, chatting with Tyler, like, will they absorb the DCU app? You're going to have these two applications that are direct competitors with each other. Um, he made the point that, you know, this was, and we've made the point as well, that this was maybe too early and too niche of a niche to sustain itself. So if it does get absorbed, what does that look like? What does that do to the comics portion of it? Um, at least like as I was thinking it through, like does that mean that it'll only be the TV content? Will the DCU app just turn into just comics? Like how is how is all that going to sort of play together? Because it, it's a super touchy subject with respect to I'm not gonna I'm gonna be upset if they're gonna make me have to subscribe in addition to what I already have. Right. Yeah. And and it and it sucks because I've now actually been able to log into the app and seen it and stuff. And it's actually it's extensive. Pretty, yeah. I like it a lot. It's pretty cool. Yeah. What are the chances that it remains in that form when it gets rolled over? Yep. You know? I don't feel like they're that likely. Mm-hmm. Now they could do something really cool where getting the Warner Media subscription gives you access to like a hub and that hub takes you to their different offerings like the hbo app is over here the dc universe app is over here but you get access to them all when you get the warner media subscription which i think they have something like that right um for anime right yeah uh verve verve okay right so maybe this could be like that and then that makes sense for the 16 17 price point Yes, exactly. But to just gut the DC Universe app and just take the 
film and television stuff off of it and abandon the comic stuff altogether, that kind of sucks. Yeah, and it's gonna it, like half the appeal for it for me now as well is shit. I can read comics with this, you know. Like I, I don't have to I don't have to buy to go to go back on on in books, right? I, I can I, I got the first volume of um, Jeff Johns JSA, but if I want to yeah. finish the run, I can do it on the app. Yeah, you know, that's, it's so that's awesome. It's, it, it's an appeal, but it's gonna lose that appeal. Presumably, yeah. Presumably. Um, that's a story that we're going to have to reevaluate, uh, later because we're probably not going to get this until closer towards the end of the year or early 2020. So this is a lot of this is just, you know, talk right now. Although I would argue that 90% of the time, the talk is pretty close to reality. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with that, but for now, we're going to jump over into our review of the first two episodes of Swamp Thing. Like I said, we got to see the first two episodes of Swamp Thing on the DC Universe app. Marco was awesome enough to share his login with me, so I was able to check it out, and uh, I was pretty impressed with what I saw. I think, yes. Marco, we can just... <laughs> We can just go full spoilers. No need for like a spoiler-free section. We'll just dive yeah. in and talk about the first two episodes. Um, since you are the Swamp Thing aficionado here and the diehard, I'll let you sort of tell me your thoughts first and let me know how this worked for you as a fan. So as a fan, this... Uh, and I had a discussion with my buddy, um, uh, Dave, who we've actually shared some of his uh, spoiler for your reviews. If you check out our Twitter um, and he we had the discussion of, you know, if you take it too close to heart to the comics, you're not going to have a good time because they make a lot of deviations. Um, but if you take it for what it is in the spirit of and in the vein of man, it hit the mark. Right. Um, the heart elements are there especially even in like the first opening like the opening scene in the first episode you know you're in the dark dampness of the swamp but it's not the you can still see stuff right it's not the the darkness isn't obscuring your view they, they want you to see what's happening the environment is just the darkness right um dude well, <laughs> and it's funny so remember how i was drunk and i fell asleep yeah so i did get a chance to see the first like two three minutes of it i don't remember it but i rewatched it with mariana and the moment where the dude um he's like throwing the box into the into the the water and the tree just bursts through and like breaks through this dude's chest i said yo i went yo and then Miranda goes oh my god you said that last week too <laughs> i was like get out that's crazy i'm like i'm, I'm one for one on that um but yeah i i think from just the way that they incorporate the horror into it specifically the body horror um it's grotesque and like disgusting and i love it um the the overall concept i think of introducing the uh i I mentioned this in our in in my instagram review um if you guys check that out but i i I like the way that they incorporated this like cdc focus with a uh, there being an infection because it's believable. It makes sense in the context of the swamp. It makes sense in the context of, 
you know, why would why would uh, Alec Holland have to be here researching something? You know, um, it it all ties together for me. Uh, I think pretty well from a story standpoint. And then the execution's great. Production's great. Nothing looks cheesy. To your earlier point, everything is well produced. The costumes are amazing. Um, the props are amazing. Overall, this this I think hit everything I would have wanted from a Swamp Thing TV show, specifically because they lean into the horror aspect so much of it. Right? That's so much of the makeup of Swamp Thing is him being in these horrific scenarios where he just has to deal with weird shit. And man, weird shit's happening in this in this in the show. <laughs> That is a fact, my friend. Um, I so again, I don't really have the familiarity that Marco does with Swamp Thing. However, I actually really, really like the character. Mm-hmm. Um, I just haven't gone back and checked out a lot of the older stuff. But oh, because uh, you read the New Fifty Two stuff. Yeah, all yeah, yeah. of the New Fifty Two stuff, all that I really, really love. So that's my familiarity. That's where I'm coming from. I thought this show was pretty damn good yeah pretty good like i had minor issues uh i didn't love how quickly we lost alec holland i agree because i like that actor and i like the the relationship and abby and i just i know already that they're gonna be like there's gonna be a deeper connection between them that's pretty clear you can say it sean they're gonna fuck yo that would be weird that would be crazy. Um, I don't even know if I want to see Swamp Dick. Uh, oh, you won't. Oh, that's right. You don't know. All right, it's fine. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I feel this is one of those situations where it's going to be hard for me to believe that they have this depth of feeling for one another when they barely spent, you know, a couple of nights working together not even like building a, a relationship yeah. um but that was that was probably my biggest problem and that's not even that big of a deal yeah really uh okay i thought that the way they built up to swamp thing was pretty good i was afraid that it was just gonna be oh here's swamp thing you know uh they kind of gave us the origin but they didn't belabor it they gave it to us relatively quickly i had a problem with losing alec but getting swamp thing i was very cool with uh i love the avery sunderland character played by will Patton. yes that is my kind of villain in a lot of ways first of all i love that actor but beyond that i like the fact that this show is finding the space to give us some commentary on how we're treating the world in a portion of our society that no one really talks about no one really talks about the swamp no one's talking about what goes on in swamps or swamp areas. And I guess there's a reason for no one talking about that because who cares? But this show cares. The word itself is Yeah, weird. yeah. <laughs> this show cares. The people who live by the swamp would care. And it has done an effective job of making me care. Uh, especially as someone who just wow. went to New Orleans last year. It was like, oh, cool. Like... I see the vibe, you know, I get it, you know, uh, especially with the scene where they have like the, 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 the town meeting. Yes. I love yep, that yep. scene. And I love the way it presented the character, the, 
the, the town and their concerns and everything. And I don't know. I just I just really loved a lot of what I saw. I liked the Abby Arcane character a lot. Yes. Seemed like a departure from what I've read in the comics, but she'd already existed for a long time when I encountered her. So I don't know. But uh, a little bit. Uh, in, in terms of the relationship with Alec, okay. yeah, 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 absolutely. I will say the the Sutherland character. So he, I, I very much enjoy that character. He's in the first arc of the the first um, Alan Moore trade, and he's the he's a, he's a minor villain. Um, but I like the way that they take him in this book. I mean, in this in this show. Because you know he's sort of a a mani- like a, a more like evil corporation guy, right? But in this in this in the show, the way they portray him, he's somewhat sympathetic, and I, I enjoy that because you know he has his ulterior motives, but at the same time, he's also trying to trying to help, even though it is through like these more nefarious right. ways. Um. Uh, so I enjoyed that departure. My one, I think my my only and biggest critique, actually not my only, but my biggest critique, I think, was the way that Swamp Thing transformed. I do agree that it was too quick, right? Um, but I think that it was, it underserved the the origin just because typically, typically it is that quick. It's like, oh shit, you know, bomb, fire, water boom like it's just the tragedy of it the instantaneous transformation and in the comics he's working in his lab he uh specifically because of his research uh he's attacked because of that right so i think it was and and it makes sense the second episode sort of gives you more context as to why they would have destroyed the lab which is like fine fair but I, i was also looking for that that iconic moment of his body engulfed in flames, you know, like the shit stripping off of him and he just needs to find something to, to literally cool himself off on and just like not die. And that is the swamp. And uh, so I found that departure a little, a little frustrating for such a, for a fan of the, of the comic, but I get why it was done. And, and I understand that. And I don't think it, I don't think it impacted the show in any way outside of it being such a quick transformation overall for the show, to your point on building that relationship with Abby. See, and that's the thing, right? As someone who hasn't read that stuff at all, I didn't know that. And because I didn't know it, it didn't bother me on any level. And I didn't think like, oh, man, this is so weird. Why didn't it? I actually thought to myself, okay, so he's going to transform into Swamp Thing now in the lab. This instinctively, I thought that. Oh, interesting. But then when it didn't happen, I was like, oh, all right. I guess they're just going to do that like in the next episode or something. And then when he ends up getting blasted in the in the boat or whatever, I was like, oh, God. All right. Now he's going to turn into Swamp Thing. He's in the swamp. So that makes more sense. All right. Let's do it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't recognize that as an issue, but I see where you're coming from. But I'm here to tell you as someone who doesn't have that relationship, it worked fine for me. That's no, that's awesome. Marina had the same thing. Like it, it, she also doesn't have that context, so she very much is aligned with. If you're thinking of just like, man, that's fucked up. Like that's the way he went out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I gotta say, by the way, that sequence with um, Susie's dad or whatever, when he 
when he's on the table in the lab and like his oh body God. starts coming apart. That was disgusting and crazy. So cool. That's the shit that I like yeah. love about Swamp Thing, right? It's just like disgusting. Yep. Oh God. So 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 Dude, cool. That Rot World arc from the, the oh, crossover. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. disgusting. Horrifying. Loved it. Right? Ugh. I, it's such a good energy, such a good vibe. Well, it's not a good vibe, but it's like it's such <laughs> it's such good energy of just like that's the essence of what they're trying to portray is like it's monstrous and and you get you get those beats throughout the story. Even in the second episode, you get you get all these beats of just like monstrous humanity. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I love too how that all is going on as we're seeing other types of human monsters doing their dirt. So there's the guy who, like, the guy who murders that dude with a fishing hook or whatever, right? Oh, the police yeah. officer guy? Yeah, that yeah. was crazy. But then there's also uh, Sunderland, who's threatening to murder people, and, you know, we know he's doing shady stuff. So it, it just it's just kind of like, I mean, it's not genius or whatever. We've seen this a lot, but it's the monster and man juxtaposed with the monster as well who's kind of more human than than these other people right like in a metaphorical yep, sense yep. i'm so glad that that's what you're getting out of it because that's that's exactly what it is that's that's awesome. exactly what the comic is is you're juxtaposing the monstrosity of humanity against a monster who's lost his humanity right yeah um and it's cool i love that i like what they're putting down so far. And I'm actually really intrigued at where this is going because I don't know if they're going to involve this, but I remember the black, right? Because the, there's the green, mm-hmm, the, the red. The the, the, yeah, the rot. Um, and I feel like maybe they're going somewhere with uh, the Sunderland daughter that died. Yes. You, is that what you were thinking too? or I, I was thinking because like Sean is not a character in the comics. Neither is Maria Sunderland. So that's something that the show's added. But to your point on like bringing back like the zombie stuff, there there have been instances where like um, uh, I mean there's always instances of like resurrection in in, in Swamp Thing in the comics. So to your point on it being the rot, I I wouldn't put it past it honestly. If if they're leaning into some of the stuff that is more like gross, it it could a hundred percent be. And just based off that ending where she's just like cuddled up next to the dead half decomposed body of her daughter fuck yeah that was disgusting also uh quick question i i guess i was under the impression that the daughter would have been a little bit older than she than she appeared to be uh, well she was um she was killed when she was 17 she didn't look 17 to me but i i mean it was only a it wasn't like a long shot or whatever but it, i thought it would look like a younger girl maybe i'm wrong hmm. um i didn't i didn't pay much attention to it but it Fair could enough. be yeah either way i'm really intrigued to see where they go with it i'm loving this show so far high marks for me and uh I don't know how we're gonna swing it if we can swing it but this is something that i would love to be able to talk about more yeah boy uh i i will say i'm interested um especially in like in the second episode well i do just want to comment the second episode i loved it right um because you sort of get to deal with the aftermath uh but specifically i like that and 
total commendations to the production team and like the prop team and that shit because like when when alex like grabbing onto his stuff and just ripping his body apart like piece by piece just peeling off like grass and, like oh so so good and it's just like there's nothing there just like no chunk yeah i'm like man that's the good shit <laughs> that's like that's like what i'm there for um and i'm interested to see where woodrow comes in who was that because woodrow is uh the cedar you'd remember him as the cedar Oh yeah! Oh oh yeah yeah okay okay okay. But in the original run, he uh, in in the more run he is Jason Wood. He's just Doctor Jason Woodrue, who tries to gain the same level of connection to the plant life. Um, upon which the rage of plant life takes him over, and he tries to kill everybody. So uh i'm excited to see where that goes and where that sort of culminates because i'm i'm assuming it's going to be that sort of the first arc of alan moore something and i'm gonna i'm hoping we get to see them pitted against each other monstrosity against monstrosity that sounds about right sounds very cool and i hope you're right because that's (laughs) i want to see something like that so um, Wait, you have the DC Universe app, bro. You can watch. You can read literally the first arc of something right now. Oh, you're right. Literally, literally from issue twenty to twenty-seven. That's it. You know what? I think I got some homework to do. Hell yeah! Awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to do that. Um. So yeah, I mean, this is your show. Is there anything else you want to say on the uh, Swamp Thing, or? Um, I spieled. <laughs> I, I got my word in. Um, but I I will say it's a shame that we had to report on you know the cancellation earlier. Just because I'm having so much fun with the show, uh, it seems like you had a blast. Miranda was into it, and I the reception overall has been incredible. And I'm I hope that if they can. If one of these shows continues, honestly, I hope it's Swamp Thing. Um, Because there's also just a big horror resurrection in general. Like, we recently had Brightburn. Um, So, like, if if this keeps going, um, I really hope that they can find a way to to bring it back and make it just just as great as it is and, and follow the arcs along because it all culminates into, like, one of the, for me, um greatest arcs in like tv i mean in 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 comics uh and we sort of got a glimpse of that with madame xanadu which was the the old the old like like lady where she sort of she comments on like the balance of like good and evil and shit and that's like what the entire arc of um like volumes three through six or like volumes three and four of swamp thing are is just like what is evil what is good and how do those two work hand in hand and how do those two oppose each other Oh man, you're like, your words are going straight into my brain and like, <laughs> like activating the thing in me that makes me want to consume everything I can as it relates Dude. to uh, what you're talking about. It's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so if the DC Universe streaming service continues, I have a hard time believing Swamp Thing will stay canceled. Yes. I think that the reception has been really positive. The backlash has not been good for yep. uh, DC and Warner over this cancellation. And I think if it ends strong, 
and people are still into it, they're going to have to think about whether or not to bring it back. And I feel like not bringing it back is probably not a good idea. Yep. And hopefully it does end strong. You know, the production did get cut. So hopefully that doesn't impact it overall. Yeah, I'm more, I'm real worried about that whole three episodes were cut thing because I don't see how you can resolve in 10 episodes what you were going to resolve in 13 when you didn't know that you had to be cut like that. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that shapes up. But the people behind the scenes appear to have their head on their shoulders well enough to produce something high quality. So I'm in for the ride. Yep, I'm there. Awesome. Let us know if you guys at home have heard, have watched the show, if you've enjoyed it. If you're thinking about watching it, I think you probably got the impression from both Marco and I that it's worth doing. It's worth you going and giving it a shot. Um, high marks from me. Give it a go. If you like it, if you don't, let us know your thoughts. You can hit us up in plenty of different ways. We are on all uh, podcast hosting platforms. We are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. You can write to us with your thoughts on the Swamp Thing show, on our show, and anything we've talked about on this show. Uh, you can get us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, those are the ways to reach out, to speak to us. Stay tuned for the book clubs. <laughs> we got Dark Phoenix out in preparation for the movie, so definitely take it a listen if you want to hear our thoughts before you go jump into that. Uh, and before we go jump into the review as well like definitely go check it out uh and the next one upcoming we posted up on our social media recently uh is going to be web swingers web spinners sorry uh tales of spider-man and that's specifically issues one through three a nice quick and easy mysterial romp so if you guys want to uh tag along for the ride for that as well we'd love it and love to have that dialogue with you guys yeah, and uh, I think our book clubs are pretty high quality in general, but uh, that was a good conversation, I feel like. Yes, so, I was, it was. Uh, worth your time, indeed. Uh, yeah, I guess this is the part where we do plugs. Marco. Pete? Oh. oh. Kale? Pete. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Mar- Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, please, 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 please talk to me about Swamp Thing. Uh, please. <laughs> As for Pete, what's up, Internet? Uh, you can find me, loud underscore Pete, if you didn't know by my volume range. Uh, you can go check out his stuff on lootpots.com. Uh, he has a podcast. They have a, uh, uh, what is it? They have a Patreon podcast as well. And then they have he stuff. writes articles for them. Yes, he, they have yes. stuff. Um, Phil's a meme. Go meme at Phil at Cyborg Beepop. Beepop. And uh, Kayla's at Toto and Toe. That's T O T O T O T O T T O T T T T O. And but also check him out on Killward.com. Uh, he's uh has a bunch of cool stuff on his site, cool comics. Um, so go check it out. Were you legitimately mad one time when Kill? messed up your plug oh phil oh it's phil that messed up your plug okay yeah he messed up my plug i'm like dude like you can goof on it but like say it <laughs> dude, if you're gonna plug me plug me well he he's inclined to take you up on that offer so i'd be careful but uh <laughs> i don't think you gave out kale's proper social 
Yeah, at Toto and Toe. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, you said Teal, 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 which I love. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of that gimmick. Um, and then as for me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram only, at Sean Soapbox. I'm only accepting DMs and ats about Dark Phoenix. So uh, let me know your thoughts on that. And with, the co- with that being said, we're the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. Bye. Get that swamp booty. <laughs>